Well, good evening. I'm trying out a new microphone tonight, so if I'm messing with the microphone, I'm sorry about that. Um, we are going to pick up where we left off last week in Nehemiah 13. So we've got like two-thirds of the way through the passage. Um, and I have warned you guys last week that we might not get through the entire thing, largely because I was unprepared as far as what we'd be doing this week had we finished last week. And then as I started restudying the passage for this week, guess what happened? I realized, hey, there's a solid chance we might not finish Nehemiah 13 even this week. Um, so I appreciate your patience as we go through the text and, and look at um, five things that we learned in Nehemiah 13 about Reformation. But before we get into that, I want to open the floor up to any prayer requests that you might have. And there are people watching right now on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, it's why we're kind of doing this strange thing where I'm up on the podium rather than being down here and have a microphone on so everybody who's watching uh, online can hear me clearly. And I think if I, I watched back part of last week, I think you could even hear, hear some of the prayer requests as well. So if you want to offer up your prayer requests now, you're more than welcome to. If you're watching online, you can put them in the comment section and uh, we'll be happy to pray for you. So with that said, are there any prayer requests? Mm-hmm. That's good. That's exciting. That's exciting. And my iPad thought I said, hey, Siri. <laughs> All right, so we've got two prayer requests. Mm. Died due to COVID um, complications. <laughs> All right, well, if there's nothing else, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the day that you have given to us that we can uh, worship your name through the study of your word. Uh, I pray, Father, that um, you, through your Holy Spirit, would teach us and instruct us from your word, that you would guide the words that we have to share this evening. Um, we also pray for those, um, Brian, who is in his wife and their family. They're, I mean, whenever a child comes into uh, one family, it's really into an extended family. We thank you for the provision. We know that you cherish life above all things, and we are thankful for the life of this young child. We pray that you would sustain him, that you would work through the doctors, 
and medical professionals and continuing um, to give him good care and healing. But also, uh, we are praising your name that you would give him a family that will love him, care for him, and raise him up in fear and admonition of the Lord. We also pray for uh, Stacy's friend, Cole, a young man who has uh, certainly been struggling. Um, whatever might be going on in his life, may you continue to put people like uh, Stacy in his life um, to point him to the love, grace, and mercy and salvific power of our Lord Jesus Christ. We also pray for the firefighter who was lost here in Clayton. It is always challenging when such a young man loses his life, leaves behind a family, and one so, so selfless as he, a firefighter, one who cares, loves, and served his community. Would you give care and comfort to that family, surrounding them with the love that is from your people, but also protect the other firefighters who um, have been quarantining from contracting COVID-19? Would you protect their families, their health, and bring full healing. And above so many things, Father, we ask that in our nation, would you bring healing, not only of COVID, but of so many different things that are going on today. Uh, we love you, Father. We know that for all things work together for our good and your glory. And sometimes it can be difficult for us to see that and to understand. But we trust you and we lay all things at the foot of the cross of your son, Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So last week we talked about Nehemiah 13 and how in this passage there were five things um, that brought about Reformation or that we see in Reformation in uh, Jerusalem. And I told you a little bit, I kind of geeked out, uh, nerded out a little bit on the Reformation, the historical Reformation. We're talking in the 15th and 16th centuries and carried on. And, and there's a phrase that uh, that came out of there refer that's called Semper Reformanda. Anybody ever learn Latin? What does Semper Reformanda mean? Okay. <laughs> uh, Keith, you raised your hand. Oh, man. I was really excited, man. I really thought... I don't know Latin all that well, but I like to use the Latin phrases because it makes me seem smarter than I am. But the term semper reformanda means always reforming. The church is always reforming in this sense that we're always going back to the gospel. And we're always seeking to peel away the things that have distracted us from the gospel. So we said that during the Reformation, the thing that distracted people from the, the gospel was like this heavy cloud of fog. And it was great to hear, hear some of your stories about the kinds of fog that rolls in and you're driving. Um, Beverly was talking about a story. how She was coming down 50 Highway years ago and there was fog that rolled in and she had no idea when she was coming back from the post office where she was working. She had no idea, lived in Johnson County her whole life, where she was. But she knew that it, she had gone too far once she hit Benson. So I'm not quite sure how you can't see anything, but all of a sudden you get to Benson and you're like, hey, I'm here in Benson. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't travel down 50 Highway all that much. But the point of the matter in the Reformation was that there was a or cloud around the gospel. The church, the Roman Catholic Church, had put before the people all sorts of obstacles so that they could not know God's word or understand God's word. In fact, they made it impossible for God's people 
to even know God's word. Even all services were done in Latin. So it's great to know that none of you knew Latin. Imagine us coming here on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, and I said everything in Latin, and you were just there shaking your head dumb, dumb like as dumb as can be, just, oh, okay. Right? You, you would have no idea what I was saying. I could be telling you that porcupines are fun to hug. You'd go, oh, okay. Well, that was kind of what was happening during the Middle Ages. And then, of course, we talked a little bit about Martin Luther, my boy John Calvin, and all that stuff, and how Reformation was brought. But we even see in the scriptures Reformation, and some might suggest that even Jesus, in bringing and ushering in the kingdom of God, brought Reformation in the first century. But we see Nehemiah here in Jerusalem bringing back a Reformation after he'd already been sent by God to lead and instruct God's people back to a place in which they worshipped him alone. Not Nehemiah, God. So here we are, Nehemiah 13. Remember, he went back to um, King Artaxerxes. So he goes to, back to King Artaxerxes where he was the cupbearer. And then he asks King Artaxerxes, hey, I need to go back to Jerusalem. Is that okay with you? I just need to check on my people. He comes back to check on his people and he about flips his wig, right? Like he looks upon Jerusalem and goes, you guys done messed up. Or is one of my favorite skits, you done messed up, A-A-Ron. You guys don't watch YouTube all the, on the, as much as I do. So we have this moment in which he comes back to Jerusalem. And he goes, man, what in the world have you guys done? And God inspires him and works through him. And last week we talked about the first two things that God used to bring about Reformation, which was what? Does anybody remember? The first one. What was the first thing that... God used to bring about reformation. His word. Perfect. I don't know who said it, but that's an A plus. What was the second thing? Appointed leaders. Bam. Man, we're we're cooking with Crisco, man. We're on the gravy train with biscuit wheels. He had appointed leaders. He used his word. And tonight, we're going to specifically, we might spend a lot of time on this. God brings reformation through reverence for him. Through reverence. Oh, it's on the back screen. Golly. Come on, Ronald. <laughs> I appreciate it. And you're an honest woman. I believe you. So out of, out of reverence for him. So we're going to look at verses 15 through 22. So we're taking it stage by stage here. So starting in verse 15, chapter 13 of the book of Nehemiah, and we're reading all the way through 22, okay? So verse 15. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods, and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of, of Judah, in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah, and said to them, 
What is this evil thing you are doing profaning the Sabbath? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. And the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. Matt like Nehemiah, right? He, he's saying, I'm going to blows. I will lay hands on you, he says. From the time on, uh, on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God. And spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Man. And that's the word of the Lord. Now, I just want to, whenever this comes up in Scripture, uh, I've said it and I'm going to continue to say it. Whenever we read the term, oh my God, does he, does he mean it? And do the people, do, do God's people, the authors of the text, when they say, oh my God, do they mean it in the same way we mean it in a text message or on Facebook or when we say it in popular conversation? No. Now, listen, I've heard people use this term and they mean it as an exclamation of, of exuberance or something like that. We don't see the term, those three words, oh my God, as an expression of exuberance or great excitement. We see here that the term, oh my God, is something that is used specifically to address whom? God. So when we say, oh my God, it better start, that better be the start to a sentence and a prayer that is exalting his name. And we see that here in Nehemiah. He says, oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. How, how great is God's love? How how patient is God's love? Far more patient than I am with this microphone in my ear. He is steadfast. He is steadfast. He's never failing. He's long waiting. He's ever patient with his people. And Nehemiah knows that. And he says, listen, God, I know what has happened in your house. I know what's happened in your city. Please don't hold this against me. I'm doing my best, Father. I love you. But not only don't hold this against me, don't hold it against your people. Why? Because of your steadfast love, because of the covenants that you've made with your people. We see here in these verses, 15 through 22, that there is reverence for God when there is reformation. Israel broke the Sabbath, which is God's command to set aside a day to worship him and rest. No work was to be done by the Jews or in the city. So when he's talking about loads coming into the city, right? So some of you either own businesses or worked at businesses. So uh, I'll use Bill Medlin as an example, right? So what Nehemiah is saying is that when the 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 peas are what the the what what what's the stuff that you sell, Bill? 
What's that? Soybeans. That's it. What did I say? Peas? I'm sorry, man. I got, I got to learn better. I'm learning. So when those soybeans come through on a Sunday, I mean, if you were in Jerusalem, you know what they're saying? Sorry, man, we got to wait till Monday. Or, you know, the Sabbath for them was Saturday. So we got to wait till Sunday to do it. When someone is waiting at the gates to give you the crops that you can go and sell it in the marketplace, the proper response for the Jews was, sorry, not today. Well, why? Are you lazy? No, in fact, God calls us to work six days a week. There's no such thing as a 40-hour work week. No, we work hard for six days, but God gives us a day to rest and to remember him. To rest and to remember him. I want to ingrain that in your mind. In Amos 5, or 8-5, we see that the merchants couldn't wait for the Sabbath to be over so that they could get back to work. The, the text says, when will the, when will the, they're lamenting here, right? Like they're, they're frustrated. They're saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. See, what happens when God's people don't seek to keep the, the, the Sabbath holy and again, this is not like first century Judaism holy where they said, listen, you can't even walk out of your house, right? Like you can't even walk down the street. That's not the type of, of, of holiness we're talking about the Sabbath. We're talking about keeping a day for rest and to know God. Rest and worship, rest and worship. Those are the two things that are commanded on a single day of the week. How important is rest? God sets aside one seventh of the year. One-seventh is greater than the one-tenth we're supposed to give back to God. God gives us more than he expects of us. We give back to him a tenth of all that we have. And he says, set aside one-seventh of your week. And really, when you relay that over an entire year, that's 52 days in a year, that are set aside specifically for the express purpose to worship God and to rest in him. And, and their lack, their lack of keeping the Sabbath day holy, it spoke to a lack of reverence and appreciation for God. Because men love themselves and their dime more than their Lord. Okay, pastor, we're not an old covenant people. We're not the Jews. We are Christians. We Submit to the cross of Christ. We don't submit to Jewish law. Amen. God, God bless. Like he has given us Christ Jesus. And truly our perfect rest is in Christ. And we find our rest and our hope in all of the blessings of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Absolutely, unequivocally, we're not like, th there's nothing else. It's not Christ plus anything. It's just him, which is enough. But he also says this, right? He says this in Mark 2, verses 27 through 28. He says that God's people are given the Sabbath for their good. So when we start reframing our mind to think that we're not just keeping a law, but we're actually given a gift for our good, we start thinking things quite differently. 
This is the exact quote from, from Mark 2. Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over or even of the Sabbath. Now, this is in response. Jesus is, is going back and forth with the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and they're upset because Jesus' um, Jesus' disciples are like walking, and when they were hungry, what did they do? They picked corn from the cornfield. They picked um, soybeans to feed their donkeys. I don't know if they had soybeans back, uh, back there in Jerusalem in the first century, but just giving you an illustration, they were starting to pick things on the Sabbath, and you certainly could not do that. That was a violation of the law as they understood it. But Jesus says that's not the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath is for God's people, right, to be given a day. To be given a day. And that day is for spiritual rest and refreshment. In fact, in my notes, I put it this way. The Sabbath is a gift to God's people for rest and spiritual refreshment as much as the Spirit is a gift in salvation for instruction. God's Word is His gift so that we can know Him. Christ is God's gift so that we can have eternal life. God's given us many gifts. What has God given to you as a gift? What has God given to you as a gift? We don't get to get super theological here. I'm like asking you in your life, what are you thankful for right now? Peace. You're thankful for your children. Retirement. <laughs> That's good. What else? There are so many things in life that God has given to us. What are some more gifts? A wife. That's a wise man right there. <laughs> Bonnie said her husband. Health. That's good. That's not guaranteed. Come on, there's some good... Uh, man, some of y'all poor or something. I don't know. And I'm talking spiritually poor, not physically poor. Forgiveness. That's good. What's the, what, think about this. Outside of Jesus, what is the greatest gift you've ever received? I would say the three musketeers, but I don't have it. There's not three of you over there, but pointing to one another. The fantastic duo are thankful for each other. So let's think about this, right? Let's, let's assume your spouse is your greatest gift, Okay. Let's assume if you don't have a spouse, it's your best friend. Now think about this. If it's your spouse or if it's your best friend and your spouse text messages you. I get to speak it on my terms, right? Because I'm 33 years old. We don't call people very often. If you get a phone call from me, it means I really care. Because, man, I really hate talking on the phone. And everybody under 40 said amen. So... Like, if you get, you hate talking on the phone too, okay, you're an honorary millennial in the good sense. How about that? So when your spouse or your best friend texts you and says, hey, let's go out to lunch. Let's go out to dinner. Hey, why don't we spend time and watch a movie or binge watch, you know, The Office? When our friends or our spouse seeks to spend time with us and they are our true 
truly greatest gift, and we just say, nah, I'm okay. Mm, not today. And then not today turns into not this week. Not this week turns into not this month. Not this month turns into not this year. And after a year, you might as well call that relationship nothing, right? You have treated it with carelessness. Let's think of it this way. Most of us love the Word of God. How do I know that? Because I hear you guys. I hear your prayers. I see you read your Bibles. I hear what God has taught you through the instruction that you've received. But like, let's think of it this way. If, if we treated the Word of God the same way that we often treat the Sabbath, wouldn't it be kind of weird? Like, if we, So if we treated our Bible like we treated the Sabbath, this is what we'd have to do. I'm talking popular evangelicalism, popular religion right now. What we often do with the Sabbath is if we were to relay that into the into God's word, this is what I would have to do with my Bible. And I told you this past Sunday, if you were here, how precious this Bible is to me, right? Like it's kind of become an idol. Like it's not good. I have to repent of how beautiful this Bible is. I mean, I love it. It's kind of like you and whatever obsession you have, whether it's video games or fishing poles, whatever it might be, like you just, you look at the next best fishing pole or boat or whatever it is, and you're like, man, this is it, right? You're telling everybody about how great it is. That's how I feel about this particular Bible. What I would have to do in order to treat it the same way that most of us treat the Sabbath is to walk off this stage, go down the hallway, go into the kitchen, put this under the faucet and turn the water on as, as hard as I could and just let it soak in the sink for a while, right? And then I would pick it up dripping in everything, which I'm sorry if, if Morgan's watching, she'd probably have to clean up after that. And then I'd walk it out to the dumpster, tear it up, and then throw it in there. That's how we often treat the gift that God has given to us in setting aside a day of rest and spiritual restoration. This day has been given to us a seventh of our week. Now, some people, I know some people and they're lazy. They don't need to be told to take a break. Amen? Maybe not here in Johnston County. I know everybody's a hard worker. But this is how important rest is in your life. That when you don't have rest in your life, you end up like the Jews in Jerusalem who did everything but rest and worship God. Busyness is a tool in this world to distract us from the goodness of God. We are in a busier culture, culture than we've ever been in the history of the world. Part of it's technology, part of it's the way that people have been raised, part of it's priorities. It's all, there's so many things that have come in on us, right? That we get so busy, we forget that God has purchased us by the blood of his son, Jesus. That in this purchasing of, of us, he also calls us into this relationship called a community, a koinonia, a fellowship. And that we collectively, we collectively set aside a day of the week to rest 
collectively and on our own and collectively to worship him. A seventh of our week. I'm not good at percentages, but that's a whole lot more than 10%. Amen? So, we learn from this that what happened with the Jews is that they lost their reverence for God. They allowed all of these people in their gates. They started trading in the marketplace, doing all the things that God had said to not do on one day a week. And they were distracted. They didn't worship. They didn't care for the temple like God called them to care for the temple. They didn't care for the priests the way that the priests were supposed to be cared for. They weren't caring for the poor the way the poor were supposed to be cared for. They weren't carrying out the mission of God. They were totally and entirely distracted. But what we must seek is God with humility, with awe, and with wonder. I want to ask this of you. I want you to think about this question real deeply. All right. I don't care if you're five or 500. I think that encompasses everybody here. If you're five to 500, think about this. I want you to think to yourself, maybe say to the person next to you so they can hold you accountable. When is the last time that you were amazed by God? Like, I'm not talking about amazed and like, oh, God's all amazing, yay! I mean like, like just struck by his wonders, struck by his work, struck by who he is, struck by why he could love you. I mean, listen, if you're not amazed that God could love you, then you think too highly of yourself. God time after time, time after time brings you back into his fold. You're walking away, you're walking down the street and and God's path is this way and you start going to the left, you start going to the right, you start going everywhere. And there are symptoms along the way. You've lost reverence for him, you've lost awe for him. You have not set aside a day of rest, relaxation and worship, but you have filled your calendar with everything but We must seek him with humility, with awe, with wonder. See, our relationship with the Sabbath is entirely different. It's not the law, but it is a privilege. It is a privilege to have that one-seventh of our week given to him. James Hamilton puts it this way. There is a principle here that is valuable for us. The principle of having boundaries around our times that we can sit and read the Bible and meditate. What boundaries are you putting in your life? Who's the youngest person here? (laughs) Susan. All right, Susan, how old are you? Okay, you're not the youngest person here. (laughs) I believe it is... What, What are you, 12? 12, all right. So, so 12 years old, who's the oldest person here? I know it's not you, Susan. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> who's the oldest? Is, is that Bill? Are you raising? Oh, I thought you were raising your hand. You're just touching your face. 
All of it. Is it Eugene? All right. So 12 to 64. Close. Close. So we'll just say for this, for this sake, you are 64. So between 12 and 64 and everybody in between and even those who are outside of that and they're watching online, which although if you're older than 64, maybe you're not watching online. I'm just kidding. I know there are people watching that are older than 64. And I'm looking at my computer screen as though they can see my face like this. I got to look up that way. Every single one of our ages, every single one of us, right? Guys, I cannot express to you how important it is for us to set boundaries in our life, to set boundaries. And in, 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 people, people use the term spiritual lives. I've often used this. No, our spiritual lives are our lives, <laughs> okay? They are no less than our spiritual lives. Our lives all bleed together. We must, we must, we must set boundaries in our lives. What kinds of boundaries? Okay, I love sports. You guys know that. I'm not going to belabor the point, but some of you love fishing. Some of you love arts and crafts. Some of you love music. Am I missing anything? Art. Some of you love art. Some of you love gardening. I don't know. There are too many things to love in this world to list everything that you guys love. But understand this. Those things are only as good as they point you to Christ, and they're only as good as they don't get in the way of you knowing and worshiping Christ. So what does that mean? Sometimes the things that we love in this world will try to encroach upon the boundaries that we find when we follow Christ. That means, yeah, maybe I want to watch the Panthers game. I don't know why you would. They're terrible. But maybe you want to watch the Panthers game instead of coming to church. Nah, no one would skip church for the Panthers game. They're not that good. But maybe you would skip church for, like, say, an NC State game. The Bizzles are watching. I have to say that. Maybe you would skip church in order to go to your play. Maybe you, you know, okay, I set aside 20 minutes a day to read my Bible and to pray. But you know what? I woke up and I'm just not feeling it. Or, or you know what? I really had a hard day. And it's really a lot easier for me because um, I do my, maybe I do my 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour towards the end of the day. I don't know why you would do that, but some of you are weird. But you do that, and then it's the end of the day. You had a really long one. You're like, you know what? I don't have the mental capacity to pray. I don't have the mental capacity to read my Bible. I just can't do it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to binge watch Parks and Rec for the next two hours and fall asleep at 1 o'clock in the morning. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. I, I mean, I've been there, right? Like we all have. Sometimes you get caught up, like, I'm kind of ashamed to say this, but I'm a 33-year-old man, and I occasionally like to play video games. Don't judge me. I grew up with them. Blame my parents. So, so maybe, like, I'm playing a video game, and what I thought was going to be, like, an hour turns into, like, three hours? Four hours? Definitely not five hours because Robert would smack me upside the head. But maybe it does turn into five hours. And before you're like, Pastor, I can't believe you played video games for five hours. I haven't recently, in a long time, actually. 
But I can say this, you get caught up in your activities, the things that you really enjoy, and time flies like that, does it not? You, what you thought was only going to be 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, and it lasts forever. And then by the time you realize it's time for bed or it's time to do something else, and, and here you are, this time that you thought you set aside to worship the Lord. Because that's what Bible reading is. That's what prayer is. It is a form of worship. But I'm telling you, what, what happens in life is we don't set up boundaries. We don't set up boundaries in our time, so we don't set aside a day of the week. So we don't set aside time in our day. And we allow things to encroach upon that. Hey, are there good reasons to miss things? Absolutely. There was a time last year. Um, there was a time last year where I was, um, I, most, some of you know, those are on the deacon board and official board. Like I have a, a mentor, another pastor who's retired. He's much nicer than I am. So he's, he's trying to teach me how to be a nice guy. And there was a time where like, I just laid it out to him. I was like, man, his name's Lou. I said, Lou, I just, I can't bring myself to pray. Like I sit there and I'm just entirely and totally exhausted. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And we're all there at times, aren't we? Okay, it's just me. Only Brenda shook her head. So it's just me and Brenda. So Brenda, you and I, like, we know what that feels like. To be there and just go like, God, like, what do I even say? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> How do I respond? And we can feel so overwhelmed with the pressures of this world. It could be our job. It could be our family. I mean, it could be us in school and we're overwhelmed with like, I mean, dude, if you are, if you are in public school right now, I, I don't understand how you're getting through your day. I mean, that is an act of God because your days have been incredibly challenging. How do I know this? Because I've heard from your parents and I hear and I pray for you because goodness gracious, the, the, the difficulties that you guys are going through, like I, I, I'm not there. So I, I guess I can't say I understand but I do see how the pressures of, of, of school, missing out on sports, missing out on your friends and all these things, like it weighs you down. The weight that is on our children, our teenagers and, and all the way through. I mean, times are tough right now, are they not? All the more reason. All the more reason for us to set those boundaries. All the more reason for us to say, you know what? Yeah, I get to spend some real garbage time on the internet with my, with my teachers. I almost said professors. With, with my teachers or my professors. Like, I don't get to really talk to them. I'm in a group. And uh, I saw one teacher on, um, on, on Twitter the other day. They said that um, <clears throat> all the kids had their kitten, their cat in their hands. Like, they, like, the teacher had their cat, like, in their lap. And the cat just, like, peeked its head out. Like, wouldn't that be kind of funny? I think it's funny. But like in the middle of a class, like a Zoom meeting or, or Google class or whatever you guys use, and like the, the teacher's instructing, and all of a sudden like the cat is in the lap of the teacher through the whole thing and just like pokes his head up, right? And like shows the cat to the whole class, right? And you would think that if I were the teacher, I'd be like mortified, right? Like how unprofessional is it to be in a Zoom meeting and to 
have your cat in your life, right? Like that's kind of unprofessional. I've had friends who are in the business world, like most got most of the guys that I knew from when I was in the army, they're now civilians. They're like, oh yeah, I don't even wear pants when I do Zoom meetings. They wear a tie. They don't have to wear pants. Trust me, when we've done Zoom, I wore pants. And then the teacher said, but then every other kid showed me their cat that was also in their lap. And there's something about animals, right? When they're around us, they can soothe us. They can, they can make us feel more comfortable. They can re- help us relieve our stress. Everybody's stressed out right now. Everybody is tired. Everyone is distracted. Everyone right now is going through a battle. We have a battle with depression, battle with anxiety. Could be seasonal depression, even though it's not, you know, uh, winter yet. But the whole COVID thing has really been thrust upon us in a way that has affected us mentally and psychologically. All the more reason, guys, all the more reason for us to be driven to the word of God, to be driven to God in prayer, and to not be afraid. Whether it's your parents, whether it's a friend, a spiritual mentor, whether it's your pastor, and to say, man, I, I'm struggling. I, I tried to set aside that time, and I just can't talk to God right now. I just don't know how. Like I, I make the time and I and I just sit there empty. And all I have is this heavy weight of emotion and depression. And I sense that I'm in this battle and I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. Guys, here's the promise that is found in Scripture, in the redemptive work of Christ, that we are always going to come out of it by the work of God that those times of our deepest valleys and our darkest depression and those times where we just don't think that we can come before the throne of God, he's using those times to remind us of how good we can often have it in the other times. He can often use those times to remind us of his goodness and his greatness and how great we truly need the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Knowing that, we must set up these boundaries. Not only are we instructed to by the word of God. It's an instruction, you know, our relationship to the fourth commandment, keeping the Sabbath day holy, our relationship to it is very different than they had with with the old covenant and the Jews. Instead, our rest is found in Christ Jesus but he also informs us that this day to be set apart is for us to find rest, relaxation, and worship in him. How do you relax? Maybe you go fishing. Bill, maybe you go fishing. Maybe you go to a ball game. Maybe you play a video game. Maybe you read your Bible. Maybe you spend time with your family. Whatever it might be that you find rest, you do it, as long as it's not obviously sinful. But you do it, and you treasure it. You don't allow anyone to make you feel bad for sitting there on the couch watching football. I mean, unless you're doing that every single day, then maybe you don't think that's Sabbath. Amen? 
Good. No one said amen. You weren't supposed to say amen to that. That was a test. Guys, we've been given a day, a seventh of all of our year, of all of our time on earth to be set aside for rest. We are to order our lives around God and it keeps us humble as we sit in awe in wonder of God. But we must take that time to sit in awe and wonder. We must take the time, set it aside, set uh, um, what I do. I like, I ditch, I ditch my phone, right? I ditch my phone, I put it somewhere else. Maybe I set a timer. Like sometimes I have timers for things. I want to spend 30 minutes reading. I want to spend 30 minutes in prayer, whatever it might be. Like I set a timer. So I turn, if I'm on my laptop, what I do is I turn all my, because like sometimes I'll use my Bible study software. So all I have up on my, on my laptop are probably Spotify so I can listen to soothing music while I'm doing it. And then my Bible software and turn everything off. Can turn the TV off. You can go into a silent room. Some people have prayer closets. But you got to do what you got to do to spend that time. You got to set those boundaries. That's going to look very different for each person. I love what Paul says in Philippians 3. We are truly to empty ourselves and serve Christ. This is what he says. Verse 7 in chapter 3 of Philippians. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. We see here a picture of what our lives are to look like. That the things that we have earned and accomplished, the things that we work for in all areas of our lives, those things pale in comparison. They have no worth. No worth except for anywhere on this earth. That's it. They have no eternal value. Like, think about that. You can spend your life trying to make money. I had, I had a kid in youth group one time. His sole motivating factor in life was money. He didn't care how you made it. He didn't care like how, he just wanted to make money. That was it. Why, what are you going to do? Like, what are you thinking about college? Like, what are you going to do? He's like, I don't know. Whatever's going to make me the most money. You go through and you talk to him and everything was about having to make money. Last time I looked in the scriptures, money has very little value. Money only has as much value as it furthers the kingdom of God. Whatever like we've earned in this life, whatever we've done in this life, whatever we worked hard for in this life, and it makes other people look at us in, 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 pos- in a positive light, in a good way, it matters not before the kingdom of God. So, This is my challenge for you from the text today is I want you this week to set aside, again, 12 years old all the way to 1,200 years old. I'm not saying you're 1,200, Gene. And everybody in between. I want you to set aside time every single day. Every single day. Pray and read. Pray and read. And what what do you think you should read? Not Sherlock Holmes. 
Read the word. Now listen, if you're like, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. Or I'm not sure how to pray. Pastor, what did you do when you were in that deep depression, right? And you went and asked Lou, like, hey, what do I do? Like, I can't just come before the Lord. I don't know what to do, right? This is what I did. This is, the, this is what he told me to do. Read the Psalms. They're prayers. Uh, yeah, but Lou, like, but then what? Just read the Psalms. Okay, but, but then what? Um, well, there's prayers in other parts of the Bible. You could read those. <laughs> our life, our spiritual life, is not as difficult as we make it out to be. We're in those times and we go, you know what? I just, I can't bring myself to even open up the Bible. Sometimes you just got to do it. Sometimes you just got to say, you know what? I'm opening it up and you open up, hey, start in Psalm 1 if you want. Start in Psalm 123. Start in wherever it is. And I, and I assure you that the word of God will work through you. There is no greater way to gain reverence and love for our God and awe and wonder of our God than reading his word, and particularly in the Psalms, to learn to pray. Man, I would, I would instruct you in this. Read the Lord's Prayer and read the Psalms. You will learn, you will glean so much through the Holy Spirit who will enlighten you. That's it. So I want to open up the floor because I know this is kind of like a sermon lecture type thing. I'm trying to integrate questions. It's kind of weird because we've got people online commenting. We have you guys in person and we're kind of far away. So it's not very like, it's, it's hard to do it this way. If there are any questions, I would love to answer questions about particularly setting aside time, the boundaries um, for God. Uh, <laughs> Stacy had a question. Um, and, and even the Sabbath. Even, even questions on the Sabbath. Mr. Stacy, did you have one? No, she was asking if I had one. <laughs> was, was that Siri? Yeah. I got to be careful if I say that word because then my stuff might start acting up too. Bueller? Bueller? How many of you have seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Okay. Oh, oh. all right, all right. Some surprising hands went up there. <laughs> it's got to be a question. Maybe there's one online. I don't know. We're floundering here. Somebody online's got to have a question. So what's the longest you ever played video games? May the longest I ever played video games was probably like 18 hours in Germany uh, when I was in the army. We, that's like when Call of Duty came out. Oh man, and I wasn't I wasn't following the Lord then. So we, you know. We'd sit there, and I had like a big projector screen in my barracks room, and um, a bunch of us would go in there. We'd play Call of Duty for, well, eighteen hours. We'd even like 
during break, like when, cause you get an hour and a half for lunch in the army, this whole, like being a civilian and only getting like 30 minute lunch break. Like, I don't know what's up with that. Um, but in the army, you got an hour and a half. Um, we were just like, get, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, like goober, which is like mixed peanut butter and jelly. And we just go in the barracks and make some goober sandwiches, eat them while playing call of duty. Yeah. So 18 hours. Probably give or take. Wow, <clears throat> that sounds like a very pastoral question <laughs> or a question a pastor would ask. So how? So for those who are listening, um, Angie had a question, by the way, which is far easier to answer. She asked, can the monkey breathe? Um, so most of you who've been watching online understand like I was moving the monkey on my bookshelf all different places when we were doing everything online. So Jim forced me to bring the monkey out here. Um, I'm just very limited in places that I can stash it when I'm still in view of the camera. So, um, so yes, the I don't think the monkey can breathe because in an inanimate, in, 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 it's not a real, it's not a living breathing thing. Goodness gracious! So how, how? And this is a good question, right? So, so I'm called as your pastor. Matt's called as your pastor to hold you accountable, to love you and to instruct you, right? But you're also called in a way to hold us accountable. So how do you hold Matt and myself accountable in when, when we are serving? Because most often we look at the Sabbath as being Sunday, right? And how if we're working on Sunday, how do we take a Sabbath? Well, I'll tell you how I take my Sabbath. Um, not very well. <laughs> uh, I, th this, um, you know, talking about this tonight actually reminds me of how important it is for me to take a Sabbath. And I've been, I've been pretty stressed lately. Um, and I can sense that part of the reason I'm stressed is because I'm not taking the time that the Lord has called me to take. Um, but I can say this, I look at Sunday as not my Sabbath. Um, that's what I, cause, so I try to make Sunday, it's, it's the Christian Sabbath in the sense that the Lord's people are all gathered together, but there are folks who are particularly called to instruct, to worship, to, to, to lead in worship, to do all those things on the Sabbath. So when we're done here on Sunday morning, um, I typically, uh, continue to work later in the day, you know, whether it's sermon prep or answering correspondence, things like that, um, so that's how I personally do it, but that might look different for other pastors and other people who work on the Sabbath. But ideally, when I have done well at setting aside one-seventh of my week, it's because I finished everything by Friday, um, and I typically try to take Fridays off, which is more like working from home, and I try to keep Sabbath or, or keep the Sabbath on Saturday. Um, and I just try to do nothing. I try to legit do nothing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. How does that work out for, so how does that, for those who are listening online, how does that particularly work out for those serving in children's ministry and youth ministry and all those different things? This would be my instruction to those folks is uh, take another Sabbath. Like if you know you are, because I've not worked in children's ministry. I've worked in youth ministry. It can be stressful, right? Um, 
working with kids is hard, especially if you're not particularly gifted in it. Um, who here's worked in children's ministry? Okay, like half the people here. Is it stress-free? Is it relaxing? Not really. Everyone's shaking their heads. And all the people who have kids at home are like, oh man, I didn't realize. Well, they fully know how stressful their kids can be, right? It, it's something that you're serving and it's good to serve. Those are important things. Those are important things that we're supposed to do. Um, that's one of the reasons why it is very important to me that as we um, move forward, like coming into the sanctuary, and even as we've had children's ministry and youth ministry out here on Sundays, while well, we've had outdoors is, it shouldn't be the same people every Sunday. It should be a rotation of people. Because one, we are called particularly to gather together in worship of the Lord, but separately, we're also called to set aside a time for absolute rest and worship of God. Now, that often, most often includes collective worship, the gathering of the saints, but at times because of service, it doesn't. Um, uh, the difference between the Sabbath in the Old Covenant sense and the New Covenant sense is this. Then the Old Covenant, it was from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. That was the Sabbath. So essentially, it's all day Saturday. For us, we have traditionally observed the Sabbath on Sunday because that's the day that the Lord has risen. But in the same sense, throughout church history, and I think what the New Testament speaks to is that the rest is truly found in Christ. So it's not so much that we must keep the Sabbath on a Sunday, but we are given a gift from God to say, set aside a day to rest and to worship me. Does that make sense, Matt? Is that nuanced enough? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, ain't that the truth? <laughs> so, <clears throat> so just uh, for the benefit of those who are watching online, um, you know, you you had commented, Brenda, that um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the entire day that you rest. Um, but, and, and I agree with you in one sense, I like how, and I forget who it was that said this, but, um, there's a quote that I remember that the Sabbath for someone who works with their hands, right? So someone who, uh, I'm an office worker, right? I spend most of my time using my mind, not my hands for someone who uses their mind on their Sabbath day, their rest very much well would look like using their hands. And vice versa for the person who uses their hands, their Sabbath rest might look like using their head. So it's a rest from your labors throughout the week. Um, and you're right. Yeah, serving is part of, of what you do. It is exhausting at the time. You need a rest later in the day. That's wonderful and praise God for that. But I always encourage people, spend a whole day in, in what rest, like, Again, rest doesn't look the same for everyone. It could be sitting on the couch. I try to be more productive on my days off, but there are times I just sit on the couch and do something, you know, read or or whatever. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's a very good point, and, and I totally agree with you. There is a, when we talk about the Christian Sabbath and, and taking a Sabbath for ourselves, we need to exercise a great deal of charity um, and be reminded that it is not a law to be kept, but a gift from the Lord that is a privilege to observe. And that does mean that, yes, our serving on Sunday can be, it can, we can look at it as a form of worship, and it very much is. In fact, I would argue that everything we do should be a form of worship. Everything that we do should be, if we are living our lives rightly under the grace of the cross, everything we should, everything we do should be a form of worship. Might not always. But again, we are told in Romans 8 that we are being conformed into the image of God. We're not already conformed into the, or excuse me, conformed into the image of his son, meaning Jesus Christ. We're not already conformed. We're being conformed. That means you're going to jack it up. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. We, our lives will be filled with mistakes. But the scandal of the cross is that those mistakes are no longer held against us. And I don't know about you, but when the, I mean, the major, the main point here, the main point is that the world is going, the world, absolutely. You, uh, you, I observe the world and I see what's going on. I observe you. I see what's going on. I observe myself and I recognize that everybody else is trying to fill my calendar so that I do not observe, that I do not rest, and I do not worship. And I also recognize that I do everything that I can to not rest, <laughs> to not observe, and to not worship. But by the grace of God, he reminds me that he is my greatest treasure and not this world. Well, with that, let's, uh, let's close with prayer. God, you are gracious and you are merciful. And I ask, Father, that the word that was spoken here this evening, the word in your text, the words that I shared, the questions, that they led us to a deeper understanding of what you have called us to in this life. I ask that they will have built us up, that they will have encouraged us and instructed us. And that, Father, you would remind me daily to take a break, to take a rest, and to know that you are king and I am not that you are sovereign, that I am not, that you are all-powerful, and I am not. Your people proclaim your glory. They rest in it. And Father, each day can bring new mercies, but oftentimes we are quick to see the distractions and the despair of this world. But remind us quickly, through prayer, through your word, and through our brothers and sisters, that we have everything in your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.